This episode of the Thontrepreneur Podcast is brought to you by Canna Planners. Canna Planners is on a mission to normalize the emerging cannabis industry through beautiful design and professional web and marketing solutions. Whether you're looking to create a new cannabis brand, improve your packaging design, or get your company online, Canna Planners has the perfect solution. Your website is the window into your cannabis company. Make sure that you look awesome, that your messaging is on point, and that traffic converts to customers through SEO. From CBD companies to dispensaries and everything in between, Canna Planners has you covered. Visit them online today at cannaplanners.com for a free web demo. That's cannaplanners.com. Hey there, I'm your host, T.G. Brandfold, and thank you for listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast, where we try to bring you actionable information and normalize cannabis through the stories of entrepreneurs, activists, and industry stakeholders. Today, I'm joined by Jake Bullock. He's one of the co-founders of Los Angeles, California-based Can. Uh, they're the makers of Can Social Tonics, a low-dose cannabis-infused beverage. How are you doing this afternoon, Jake? Doing all right. How are you, T.J.? I'm great, man. I'm great. I'm really excited to talk about this. So, so uh, as as many of the listeners on this show know, I actually don't consume any alcohol, um, and so um, I don't live in a legal state. I've actually never lived in a legal state, but you know, uh, through the uh, the 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 underground markets, I've obtained you know many different sort of beverages from you know the syrups. Um, when I went to Michigan, I bought a bunch of root beer. Um, you know, I, I went to a cannabis cup there. Uh, when I go to Massachusetts, uh, I try to find drinks. They're not often available there, which which is really frustrating. So talking about drinks in particular is something I'm very excited about. Um, so before we get into sort of the culture and the products, tell me about yourself, man. How did you end up in the cannabis space? Yeah, it's kind of an interesting story. Um, so I'd grown up in Colorado. Um, and that kind of was the foundation for me. I'd followed the legal industry there um, as they sort of went recreational, legal for the first as the first date, and um, had been sort of prior prior to to starting Can. You know, worked with consumer brands. I'd done stuff in um, in finance, banking, investing, consulting. Actually, met my co-founder Luke at, um, as a management consultant in San Francisco. Um, and I know the common thread there was really working with consumer brands. And I always knew that I wanted to start a consumer brand. And, um, it was right as I got to business school, um, in California, that California went through its legalization process for, for, um, the rec market. And, um, it kind of was like this perfect storm of timing where I, well, I had these two years of business school where, you know, you wake up every day and go to class to sort of think about these ideas. Um, and this new industry that was sort of transitioning into, into um, uh, a legal industry in California right at the same time. And so I got really excited about spending those two years thinking about, you know, what would you do in the space and what would that look like? And, um, you know, for me, uh, having followed what happened in Colorado and, you know, thinking as a consumer or sort of, you know, what products would resonate, uh, beverage was the most obvious thing. Um, you know, we have thousands of years of human history socializing around beverage. If you think about how most folks uh, consume mild intoxicants, whether that's caffeine, or alcohol, um, we're doing it in a beverage, and, and we're doing it in a microdose in a beverage. Um, and so the idea was, you know, what happens? What does that look like in the cannabis industry? Can you create a product that that sort of looks and feels like an alcoholic beverage, um, but with maybe not a lot of the downsides 
um, and a lot of the really positive sort of social buzz. And so that was that was the idea. So, so you you end up at some point during uh, sort of your career at Bain Capital, correct? Correct. And and you know a lot of people associate sort of Bain Capital with Mitt Romney, Republicanism, right, and, and this sort of vulture atmosphere, right. And th- and that's that's not to say that that's that's true or false. That's just sort of the 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 social uh, conscious sort of way that they think about it. So so how do you go from this sort of you know Bain Capital to the the cannabis space? I mean, it seems like such sort of a jump. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, in some ways it is, right? Um, I, you know, I spent a lot of time, um, you know, at Bank Capital, before that at Bain & Company, before that at um, investment banking, you know, working sort of in a traditional mindset, right? Um, whether it's client services or whether it's investing, you know, waking up, having a very clear sort of path about what you're supposed to do. You're working on a team, often with a lot of really smart people. Um, but you sort of do the same thing over and over again. And, and in some ways there's, there's differences. Um, but, but for the most part, it is sort of a corporate grind. Um, and you think about sort of that path and, 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 and the politics and how do you sort of move to the next level and what does that require? And, you know, do you even like what you're doing every day? Right. Those, all those questions were sort of ones that, that in, in, in more ways or not hit me while I kind of took this, this two years to, to go to business school. Um, and I think, you know, and I think personally about sort of my career in life up until this point, I have always been really rewarded by taking risks that felt really uncomfortable and really um, different than what was sort of expected of me. Um, even though in those moments, there was sort of a lot of short-term anxiety and fear, potentially, you know, that things would go wrong and um, it would be a terrible mistake. Uh, leaning into those experiences in my life has actually served me really well. Um, and so I kind of approached this problem similarly, which was, Wow, are you really going to, you know, give up a career in investing uh, and start, you know, brewing a cannabis beverage in, in your basement um, or garage, um, which is where we started? Um, and and uh, you know, you, you you kind of approach it the way that I think um, smart people do, which is you talk to consumers, you ask them, like, "Am I crazy? What do you think of this product? Would you use this?" And you try to, you know, convince yourself that it makes sense. But, uh, you know, that doesn't take away how big of, of a risk it felt at the time and how, you know, kind of scary it is in the moment. Um, but like I said, I think that, you know, to really um, break out of that grind, out of that, those expectations and do something that you really love and that you're excited about. Um, and, you know, we first started testing these, some of these beverage products I and mean, some of them were terrible, but some of them were really good. <laughs> and the good ones were exciting. I mean, you would see people's eyes light up and they would be like, you have to do this. You're telling me that you're going to do this. Like this needs to exist. Um, and those are really cool moments where you're like, okay, um, maybe, maybe there's something here. So what about your peers in the investment, you know, industry? What was their response when you when you told them that that's what you were passionate about and that's what you were going to do next? Yeah, it's interesting. So, um, you know, one of the things you learn while investing and um, and I learned was how to describe an opportunity, particularly a financial one. Right. Um, yeah. I think I did a good job of, of selling them on, on the opportunity. I had no idea how how hard and how crazy it was going to be. And in hindsight, I probably wouldn't have done it if I knew. Um, but the interesting people were actually not my investing peers. It was, you know, friends and family, people really close to you that are sort of saying, what are you thinking? Like, this is crazy. And, and one of the hardest things I think about starting any company, let alone something in the cannabis industry, um, 
where there still is a little bit of a stigma, um, particularly in certain parts of the country, uh, is the people closest to you are also often the ones that are um, the least supportive or the ones who have relationships that are sort of huh. founded in, in, in fear and, and, and want you to sort of be the least risky as you can possibly be. And that's really hard because in those moments when you're kind of like thinking, do I do this or not? Um, they're, they're really lonely moments. You, you had mentioned the challenges that you had, um, you know, just, just, did you, can you describe to me some of those challenges that you faced when, when launching this company? I mean, you say you started it, you know, from your garage. I mean, that, that, that alone to, to build something, you know, from your garage is, uh, is a testament, right? So, so can you just sort of tell me about the journey of, of, the, of the challenge? Yeah, definitely. So we started, I mean, we started kegging prototypes of this product in our garage, um, force carbonating it. We got a little, a little pony keg and a little <laughs> CO2 tank, um, you know, juicing ginger in a blender to try to like get that, that extract flavor, um, playing around with all sorts of different formulations, dosage levels, um, and then, you know, bottling them in these brown bottles and sending them off at the time. I was a, a, a business school. So I was, sending these off with classmates basically um, in six packs and having them come back and say, okay, how many did you have? Did you share them? Um, what was the effect? What did you like? What did you, what didn't you like? You had to do your own market you research. Uh, yeah. hundred percent. And, and, wow. and did it like face to face with consumers. And I think, you know, that was, that was such a powerful point um, in, in the early development of the product because you learned a ton Um you know, this is when we sort of settled on two milligrams as being the right amount of THC in a product. And that was, that's still to this day is, is, is somewhat controversial. Um, but we saw it, we saw it in people's eyes and their, in the data and their feedback um, when they talked about this product. And um, that was the sweet spot. That was what allowed people that were first time never to cannabis consumers to, to consume one or two. And it allowed people that were more casual, you know, consumers of the product to do three, four, five. And that felt right. That's sort of like how you might drink other alcohol, like alcoholic beverages. Um, yeah. And so, you know, those types of learnings were, were huge. I think the hard stuff, there's so much, there's so many things that were hard. Uh, you know, for me personally, moving, you know, to my parents' basement and living out of there for six months while we, you know, tried to formulate and fundraise and do all that stuff was, was quite the experience. Um, uh, and, you know, something that I wasn't really expecting, if you would have asked me maybe five years ago where my career would have led me. Um, you know, me and Luke trapped in a room for, for six months, just the two of us trying to figure out what this brand really stands for and what it says about people and, and, and what the voice and the culture and like what matters in the company is, um, you know, convincing first people to come work for us was really, really hard. I mean, how, like, why would anyone do that? <laughs> um, that seems like a crazy idea and, and having to sell them on the vision and why this product matters you know, and then actually having them join was like this incredible experience. And then, you know, thinking about how this, this job morphed from developing a product to then, you know, making that into a company and how, to, how does, how does that fit strategically into this industry that has a whole host of challenges? Um, you know, in some ways we, we started out, um, getting really excited about developing a consumer brand, right? Uh, that, that was our energy. That's where our backgrounds were. And we probably spend 10% of our time talking about brand. We'd love it to be a hundred. The other 90% we're spending on regulatory compliance operations, all the stuff that's just not very fun or exciting and only has downsides. Um, but you have to do it because you know, that, that, that's, that, that's what we signed up for. And so, you know, we could, I could go on and on about all of the crazy hard things we've had to go through. Um, but well, it's, uh, it's, it's sort of wild because you know, you, you don't have this industry, you don't have this background in brewing. Um, 
you know, you have this background, you, you don't really have this background in, you know, market research, um, you know, but you do have this background in, in investment and, and money. And in January, you guys closed a $5 million financing round, um, which congratulations, you know, thank you. Um, you know, and then, and then since then, you know, I've, I've read several reports that indicate fin- financing in this space has been drying up lately due to first low company valuations and now the coronavirus. Um, what's, what's been your experience either, you know, trying to find maybe additional financing or, you know, conversations with others in the space uh, about financing right now in the industry? Yeah, it's really hard. And it's been hard um, really since the fall, I think there are sort of two things that you identified there that are, that are important. The first was the cannabis industry before even COVID-19. Um, really, we, we started talking about that in a serious way. Uh, cannabis industry was having some issues. And I think it was primarily driven by the public market, the, the really big cannabis companies underperforming their expectations, which had sort of, you know, an effect all the way down the entire market, to, even to small folks like us. Um, and I think primarily that's been because in the early days of states um, legalizing recreational cannabis, there was a lot of energy behind, oh, the entire industry in the state that was in the black market is now going um, to the legal market. And that just hasn't happened. It's been much slower. Um, there's real, um, you know, the implementation of regulations have real impact. Um, there uh, are tons and tons of taxes, which which can often protect a, 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 a black market. Um, and, uh, you know, the biggest thing that we think is is really slowing the transition um, in a lot of these states is the product mix, uh, that you still have a lot of products that make sense for really, really heavy cannabis users, folks with high tolerances. We know cannabis tolerances are exponential. So, if, you know, there are folks that, that over time, particularly daily cannabis users, that need those products, right? Um, but there's so many more that don't. And they come into a dispensary for the first time, say, when you open up Illinois or California um, in, in, in these big cities, and they have no idea what to do, or they're recommended a product and they have a bud tender tell them, oh, this is 10 milligrams, you know, maybe take half of it and they take the whole thing, or they even take half of it and that's too much, right? Yeah. Um, so we think the product mix needs to evolve. You know, products like can that are two milligrams, so, you know, we're the lowest dose on the market in California. Um, for THC. And, and that's a perfect entry point for somebody that is looking to have a good cannabis experience and never have that scary, anxious, I was too high or paranoid feeling. Um, so we think that needs to transition. The other big thing that you pointed out was COVID. And so that's creating a lot of issues now as well. Um, and I think it's one of those things where it's, it's very much a wait and see. Um, I know that, that you know, for us, um, the retail side has been really challenged with um, shelter in place and, um, you know, curbside pickup only a lot of dispensaries, you know, either didn't have that in place or had to very quickly, you know, spin it up, which has been challenging. They're seeing traffic way, way down. Um, we're on the delivery side. It's, it's the complete opposite, right? There's, you know, yeah. delivery, um, platforms are adding thousands of customers every week. And, and there's a real, a real sense that folks that maybe weren't interested in trying cannabis products are trying them for the first time, you know, maybe after spending six weeks, um, quarantine drinking, alcohol every night that's 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 driving them crazy um so you know all those things are creating a really really challenging fundraising environment our view has been you know in one way we've been really lucky which is we've been able to access capital outside of traditional cannabis investors we've got both cannabis investors and non-cannabis investors in our portfolio so the round that you mentioned 
to five million that we recently closed was led by Imaginary Ventures out of New York City, um, who this is their first investment in cannabis. And it's, wow. they think of us as a social beverage, right? Um, you know, THC happens to be our functional ingredient, just like a lot of other social beverages may use caffeine or other adaptogens as their functional beverage um, ingredient in their beverages. Ours is THC. And, and really what we're talk, trying to do is get people to drink 10, 20, 30% less alcohol um, yeah. and, and drink can instead. Uh, that story is a really interesting one that sort of transcends what's happening in cannabis into what's happening in, in, in traditional consumer CPG. You know, if you think about all these better for you products that take sort of an existing product, like for us, it's alcohol, right? But for, for others, it may be, um, you know, meat or it may be pasta and they swap out the, 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 the negative ingredient um, with an alternative. That's kind of what we're doing, right, in some ways. And so there's a real opportunity for that. Um, we also had Global Founders Capital come in. It was their first cannabis investment. Um, and that round was was also led by uh, Jam 10, which is a, a great cannabis investor. And so you have, you know, a little bit of, of both. We've, we've taken the approach of, you know, for us to really be successful, we need to have one foot in the cannabis industry and, and one foot out of it because we're, we're constantly taking learnings from both places and bringing them together in this company. So in your opinion, why, you know, did these institutions, you know, these capital institutions take, you know, sort of that shot on you guys and your company for the first time, for their first investment? Right. Yeah, we, you know, I think there's a lot of things we have going on. The first thing is the product. You have to try the product. I mean, every meeting we have with folks, we're like, have you tried the product? How do we get you to try the product? Because there's really something special about the flavor. I mean, this is something we designed to be an innovative product in and of itself. This is not sort of, oh, it's X, but we added cannabis. We were like, yeah. what is that new category of cannabis beverages that function a lot like light beer and that they have the same potency, um, but no hangover, right? Low calorie, but not like zero calorie. We don't want any fake yeah. sugar or sugar substitutes. Um, and so we spent a ton of time formulating this product to be that. Um, people love it. They fall in love with it. They try it. They're like, wow, this is incredible. Um, and then you have, I think that the moment, the timing, which is, you know, when we first started this company, people were like, this is way too early. You should wait, wait another two years. It's too early for cannabis beverage. And then, you know, everything came out about constellation and canopy and they're saying, oh, it's too late. You missed the boat. And it's like, okay, well maybe <laughs> people are saying it's too late and too early. We're, we're probably somewhere in the right zone there yeah. um, from a timing standpoint. And I think it's, it's, you know, if you think about broad consumer trends, a lot of people are frustrated with their alcohol consumption. Um, 21 out of 25 adults want to moderate or reduce their alcohol consumption. We're seeing it even grow further with quarantine. And, and a lot of folks are saying, oh, like, I'm not going to a bar or a restaurant. Um, how do I socialize? What does that mean? What, is a, what does socializing look like where I can't you know, drink a, a handful of alcoholic drinks at a bar? Um, and that's really cool. We're taking um, you know, advantage of that in some ways by trying to get people to swap out cans for their alcohol. Um, and so the timing, I think, is also is also pretty good, um, which helps you know get a, an investor like that over over the hump. And then I think the third thing is is we have an awesome team, um, and they've done an incredible job of executing in a really tough environment. I mean, the California cannabis market is hard. At, like we're put, we're selling a product we often say, which is like selling light beer and speakeasies at the end of prohibition, right? Yeah. Um, no one in a speakeasy wants light beer. They're drinking <laughs> liquor and they're totally fine with the liquor. Um, and liquor is going to continue on and be a, a huge market. Um, but so is light beer. And, the, and then that opportunity is what's being missed. And it, it's, it's primarily because of, of, of the distribution sort of restrictions that we have in place. Um, but we think that will change. Now it may take a while, um, but you know, waking up every day and trying to convince folks that, hey, alcohol, like cannabis is not that scary. Like it's better than alcohol. Alcohol is the worst thing you do to your body. Um, we feel good about our ability to do that. 
So, so I, I, you know, as I said at the top, I, I love cannabis beverages. I also love low dose beverages. Uh, I, I regularly, you know, will take five milligrams and, and it makes me feel great. Um, you know, I'm also a heavy consumer. I mean, you know, I, I, I smoke quite a bit. You know, and so, so for me, I, I, I sort of bridge both, right? I, I, because I don't drink, I, I do use low dose cannabis in, in social situations. So I'm not, you know, eating everybody's meals. Um, <laughs> but, but for, for what, what, what's the pitch or what's the appeal for Cantonics for daily heavy cannabis consumers? Or, or is that, you know, is, is that uh, a demographic that's included in sort of your, your marketing, your, your, your long term vision? Yeah, it's a great question. So the way I would try to sell you if you came into a dispensary and say I was sampling can wouldn't actually be this is the perfect product for you, right? But it would be something a little bit different, which is, you know, have you ever been in a situation where um, you have a bunch of friends that aren't huge cannabis consumers, but you are, you don't really want to drink alcohol, they tend to drink alcohol. And how do you sort of introduce them to cannabis, you know, your friends, people that um, that you want to spend time with, but maybe choose to drink alcohol as their, as their mild intoxicant of choice. Um, and so what a cool way, if you're hosting a party, if you're going to a party to bring a six pack of can to sort of introduce your friends that aren't as into cannabis as you to cannabis. Um, it's such a safe product for them. They guaranteed to have a good experience. Um, and it's controllable, right? So they can have one, two, three, four, depending on, on what they want to feel and the timing that they're, that they're, um, you know, thinking about, about spending. And so that's kind of how we think about it um, for folks that, that are maybe daily cannabis users. Now we hear interesting stories of, 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 of people that are saying, oh, I love drinking can while smoking because, yeah. <laughs> you know, I get caught in the mouth and it's this nice sort of like THC CBD blend that, that helps me, um, you know, through that. Uh, or, you know, folks that say, yeah, you know, I can't always smoke everywhere I go. And so, you know, crushing a couple of cans is great. Um, but again, that's going to be a really, really mild buzz for them. Um, but we hear it. So. So, so do you, is it sort of your thought that the industry is, or, or are you seeing the industry in California said that, you know, your, your product is the lowest sort of THC on the market. Uh, do you think that it's trending towards low and low dose and microdosing? We're definitely seeing that. I think, um, you know, one of the things that's slowly happening, but it's definitely happening is you're seeing folks that, you know, had a bad experience with cannabis in the past. You know, maybe this was like a, a brownie in college that they'll never forget, or, um, uh, you know, maybe recently in, 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 in sort of the early days of the rec market in California, were eager to get in and had a bad experience that were sort of lapsed cannabis consumers that are coming back. Um, and when they come back, they know to say, I do not want to get too high. I had this horrible experience. Like, give me what is like the, what is the lowest thing? And there's some great products on the market. And I think some of the really interesting ones that we see that, that are beverages that are also low dose are growing really well. The mints the, um, that, that often can be really low dose uh, seem to do really well as well. Um, and so you're starting to see that. I think the other thing um, is beverage as a whole as a category is getting a little bit more traction, both low dose and, and some of the, the more moderate and higher dose beverages. Yeah. As people start thinking about, uh, you know, the one, the biggest change that's happened is, is emulsion technology has improved a lot. And so you don't have those like really oily mouthfeel sediment particulates coming out of the beverage. They tend to be, they tend to be much stronger than maybe they would have been two years ago. And so 
um, you're starting seeing people going to, well, one, you're seeing dispensaries putting in refrigerators and then yeah. you know, tenders <laughs> and folks going to those refrigerators and being, oh, this is interesting. Like I never thought of a cannabis beverage. I mean, we're shocked the, the amount of times people say, I didn't even know there were cannabis beverages. Huh. Um, and we're like, what? <laughs> uh, this is what we do every day, but it's, it's still so new. I mean, I think it's one or 2% of the market today in California, but of all the products that you look at in a dispensary today or, or on a delivery platform, I think it's the category that has the potential to take the most share going forward. I would not surprise me in 10 years if you look back and 50% of the cannabis industry is beverage. It would kind of make sense. And you'd be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Like alcohol is in a beverage, like so is cannabis. Yeah, and I and 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 I, what I've something I've noticed, you know, sort of about cannabis beverages in my experience with them is that, you know, with alcohol, you know, a beer tastes like a beer, right? I mean, your your light beer tastes like a light beer. Uh, and that the cannabis beverages that, that I've generally tasted have always been very flavorful, um, you know, and this goes to, you know, the root beer and, and mm-hmm. the other stuff that I've tried. Um, so uh, just sort of a question is, is are you guys sort of, so in Massachusetts, for example, the, 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 the pa- dosing is capped at five milligrams. Um, you cannot get an edible. That's that's a dose more than five milligrams, um, you know, singular dose. Are you guys sort of banking on these low dose sort of regs to keep passing? It, was that something that that was integral in your thinking is, is going, hey, you know, they're going to cap these at at five or 10 milligrams. You know, so if we're at two, we're already well under, you know, are you sort of positioning yourself for future markets with that uh, milligrams? Yeah, it's interesting. So it was never a thought process of ours that the regulations would would force us to be low. You know, we actually kind of thought about it um, as what is the right um, number of cans you can have, like uh, in, in, a, in any given setting. Um, we think about sessionability a lot, which is like, okay, how do you think about dosing? Well, who's your consumer and how many can they have? And we, we believe very strongly that that, was, that number was more than one. Um, and a lot of the products on the market were, were definitely one or under that, right? Um, yeah. And so, um, you know, that was the foundation for thinking about where we should be from a dosing standpoint. I think when we look at the bigger picture, having been in it for a couple of years, uh, you know, the way that we think this really takes off um, our product specifically is that you have um, uh, a bifurcation in the cannabis industry where products under a certain milligram of THC are treated differently. So if you think about some huh. states where you have alcohol laws and, um, uh, essentially liquor, right. Can only be sold in one, one type of store, like yeah. a liquor store, a state run liquor store. Um, whereas, you know, beer and wine, you can get in the grocery store. It's kind of that model. So we don't know where those thresholds will ultimately land. Maybe it's five, maybe it's under five, but they're just different products. Um, and the, the, the risk and the safety level around a two milligram edible or beverage is so different. Um, than you know what you might what you might find on the higher end um and so they should be treated differently from a regulatory standpoint if we're ever going to have you know uh consumption of cannabis and and alcohol alongside each other forever going to have cannabis sales in traditional retail it's going to have to be the the lower dose stuff um and and that's kind of the path that we think we have forward to ever being in a bar, for example, or ever being available in a grocery store. It's probably a ways away, but I think one of the things that will be interesting to observe is, is as more states continue to legalize recreational programs um, and you start to see a lot of the really positive benefits from that, 
um, I don't know, bar or restaurant owner, um, you know, that wouldn't rather have uh, uh, mix up their cannabis consumption, right? It just tends to be better for all of the negative outcomes that they're worried about, liability issues, people getting sick, people fighting, um, you know, consumption of food. <laughs> so there's all sorts of really good positive things, I think, over time that we'll start to see. Um, and, and I think you'll, you'll see some of, the, some of the folks that are opposed to those regulations will, will, will start, start softening. I, I can definitely tell you, I know a couple of bartenders who, who wish that they never saw me drunk in my life, um, <laughs> wish that they just saw me, you know, years later and I would just come and ripped. Um, right, right. Do you think that this sort of future that you envision where alcohol sold, you know, alongside of cannabis or, or alongside cannabis beverages, uh, do you think that that would require, you know, sort of a mass shift towards social use laws, uh, you know, as programs go online, because right now, you know, you, you have, you just have basically uh, California, you know, they allow it uh, city by city, Alaska allows it statewide, uh, Denver, Colorado allows it. Um, but that's, that's really about it. Um, is that, do you think that would really sort of move the industry, especially the beverage industry, the can of beverage industry, in the direction that that you sort of foretold? Yes, I, I think 100% it will. I mean, one of the big challenges we have is around trial. If you think about, you know, we, we sell our product in six packs. We think that's the right amount to purchase at one time. Similar to how you might buy a six pack of light beer. Um, but the reality is, you know, you, you probably tried that, that light beer in a bar and you just got one and then you're like, Oh, wow, I really like this brand or, or someone go find it in the store. Um, we don't really have that ability in, in cannabis beverage. And so, you know, how do you get people to try that first product and then want to come back and, and purchase more? And there's something special about trying it in, in a social setting. Now, what's interesting and what we think a lot about can is, you know, what are the right social settings and spaces um, for our product. And maybe it's not like a loud bar that's dark with like a, like loud music and bar stools, right? It could be a totally different environment. We, we like have fun as a team thinking about, you know, if we could design one of those spaces, how it might be different than, you know, what's optimized for our current alcohol consumption. Uh, and I think we're starting to see that, right? You have, you have a few in California consumption lounges popping up. Um, you know, if those experiments go well and are successful and they, they manage the, the model and the risk really well. I think it, it, it provides a great example for other states looking to, um, you know, looking to safely sort of expand their cannabis industry um, into social consumption. So, you know, you'd said earlier that right now the cannabis beverage space is about uh, one to 2% in California. Um, like I said, in Massachusetts, uh, I've been to three dispensaries there and could not find a beverage uh, in any of them, something that just weren't on any of the menus. Um, why do you think, A, that right now it's still, you know, such a small percentage of the California market? And B, why aren't we seeing them sort of more ubiquitous in uh, on dispensary menus? Yeah. So we think, I mean, at a very high level, there are two things that are, that are probably um, causing this. The first is we talked about the dosing. I just, yeah. When you do see beverages, they're often way, way too strong for somebody to consume the entire thing. And that just doesn't really make sense. Like the value of a beverage, the reason we drink beverages is that you can kind of have this, this like, 
um, over time sipping of, a, of whether it's a tea or coffee or an alcoholic beverage, it takes up time, it takes up space, it's sort of an event in and of itself, you might sit down and do it with a friend or a handful of friends. Um, that, doesn't, that doesn't really work in the context of like a 100 milligram, 50 milligram beverage. Um, <laughs> And so it's like you almost lose the social benefit of, of the form factor. Um, and then the other big thing is this is not an easy product to manufacture. Um, it requires expensive capital equipment for sure. Um, the processing is tricky, the emulsion science, um, stability, depending on your formulation. There are all these really tough sort of food manufacturing, food science questions um, that uh, you know, have been sort of slow to be adopted in the industry, primarily because there just hasn't been the demand, right? It's like one of these things, if it's 1% of the market, why would you go invest in really expensive equipment and, and food scientists to help you go do this, you know, when you can just start cranking out all these, these tried and true products? Um, that's going to change, right? I think it, it's take, it will take some time, but it takes products like Can that are low dose, um, that still tastes delicious for people to really come around and be like, oh, I see the potential, I see the future. And these products are popping up. I mean, we, we probably follow it more closely than others, but we're really excited to see more beverages like ours because we think that you need that category to really exist. And you need dispensaries, like you say, in Massachusetts to put in big refrigerators and add a bunch of beverage brands, whether they're, you know, like us at two milligrams um, on the low end of the spectrum or even all the way up to 100, right? Like just making this a category where people think about beverage and what use cases are right for what type of beverage. Um, is going to be a great improvement over what we have now, which is in some cases nothing, um, and in others, you know, very limited selection. This, uh, Jake, has been a really, really super uh, insightful conversation about, uh, you know, a space that I think is, I think is overlooked because I love it, right? I, 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 I've, I, when, when I go to dispensaries, you know, I'm heartbroken when there is not a beverage, right? Because I'm there with my friends, my friends, we, we you know, they end up going to the bar and, you know, what, what am I to do? Um, so I, I really want to thank you for, you know, just, just being so forthcoming and, and, and really sort of uh, peeling back some of the layers uh, because there's so few sort of opportunities for me to have this discussion uh, before uh, we get to sort of, uh, you know, further information about how to contact you. Uh, what advice would you have uh, for entrepreneurs either in the sort of cannabis space at large or those who are thinking about the cannabis beverage space? Yeah, so I would say um, the most important thing and, and some of the best advice that we got early on, um, you know, when you're thinking about entering, developing a product, um, does it make sense? Is it worth sort of, you know, committing to this career is really um, approach the prototyping process like you're right and approach the testing process, um, the listening process to your consumers like you're wrong. And so we would say prototype like you're right and listen like you're wrong. Um, you will learn so much from consumers. Uh, and I think that the real success behind CAN was doing that early human-centric design um, that set us up for success. So finally, where can people, it's, it's great advice, by the way. I mean, it's, it's, th that's something I've never heard on the show before. And, and I asked, and I've asked this question literally hundreds of times. Um, so, you know, it just sort of goes to show, um, you know, you're, you're, you're the, the insight that you have is, is, is really sort of different than, than a lot of 
people that uh, I do have on the show. So, so um, where can people, you know, find out more about you, find out more about can and find out more about uh, can social tonics. Yeah, definitely. So we are www.drinkcan with two ends.com and also on Instagram at, at drinkcan. Um, and if you're in California, you can order our 24 packs um, from our shop.drinkcan.com site, um, which is the best price for can out there. That's Jake Bullock. He's the co one of the co-founders of Los Angeles, California-based Can. They make Can Social Tonics, a low-dose cannabis-infused beverage. Thank you so much, Jake, for taking the time to come on the show. And uh, I uh, may one day make it back to California if I ever get out of my house. And I will definitely be on the lookout for uh, the Can Social Tonics. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, TG. You can find more episodes of the Gontrepreneur.com podcast in the podcast section at Gontrepreneur.com and in the Apple iTunes store. On the Gontrepreneur.com website, you'll find the latest cannabis news and cannabis jobs updated daily along with transcripts of this podcast. You can also download the Gontrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. Oh, yeah, we're also on Spotify. This episode was engineered by Trim Media House. I've been your host, T.G. Brandfault. <laughs>